Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series. These come out every Wednesday, and they are set. Um, And so we actually have two series. The first series is all about uh, why you can trust the Word of God, how we got it, um, how it's been preserved over time. Um, how God inspires it. We covered a lot of topics in that that honestly are very fundamental in understanding how to approach and look at Scripture. Um, and so I would challenge you, a lot of times that can that first series contains information you're not necessarily going to hear in a sermon or even in a Sunday school class at church. Um, and so it's a lot of history and information that's been put together for you guys in very understandable podcasts to kind of help you just know that you can trust what's in front of you. Um, The accuracy of Scripture is uh, unbelievable. I mean, it should have human error in it, and it does not. It does not contain what naturally should exist for human error. Um, And so, you know, you have those kinds of pieces. You have just different things. And I want you guys to realize that when you're holding your Bible, you are holding an absolutely miraculously put together, miraculously preserved, miraculously um, translated uh, book that defies all odds of humanity. Um, And so it's very obvious when you look at it and step back that God's hand has been all through this um, and that the writers of the Old Testament and the New Um, there is no way they could have talked to each other from beginning to end. And to have a uniformed message from start to finish, that shouldn't happen. That's an impossibility with human error. We all know this because we could illustrate this in three seconds. Um, You remember the game of telephone, right? Where you start with one thing being whispered at one end of the line, and at the end of the line on the other side, you get what was caught eventually. And it usually has very very little in common with the message at the beginning. And that's what we should expect if God wasn't involved in this, if this was just made by human hands and put together by humans. It should be a mess, but it isn't. It isn't. And I want you guys to understand that, that when you come to the Old Testament, when you come to the New Testament, you have to understand that they are one complete story from start to finish. The Old Testament points towards Jesus' coming and his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. The Old Testament tells this, or sorry, the New Testament tells the story of Jesus coming, of him dying in our place, of him raising to life. And then the rest of it tells, looks back to what he did on the cross. Um, And so it's very important to understand the layout of the whole book and to understand where you're dropping in when you flip it open and you're reading. And so one of the things I like to challenge people is that you've got to kind of dive in and dig in. And so it's not always about how much you're reading as much as it's the quality of how you're reading it. Um, And so I think a lot of times we're kind of just doing a flyby. Um, when we really need to be digging in um, and trying to put ourselves in the shoes of the people that would have read this or the ones that were um, going through the things that are described in these books. And then we can find out how their lives mirror ours. And then it's pretty much a no-brainer at that point as to what the, the text or the passage might mean to us and what we can take from it. Um, because the one thing I want you guys to always remember 
The Bible cannot mean something for us that it did not mean to its original audience in its original time, in its original setting. And so you really have to sometimes do the homework to understand what's being said and communicated in a specific book. All right, that said, we are in Habakkuk today, or Habakkuk, however you want to say it. Uh, For the sake of simplicity, I'm probably just going to say Habakkuk. Um, Or sorry, I think I usually say Habakkuk. Anyway, I don't know. You can figure out what I say, but I don't. Anyway, um, okay, so moving on, uh, let's start with the who of this. Well, this guy's name is Habakkuk, um, and the what of this book is prophecy and judgment. The one thing I want you to notice is the time frame on this. Um, Habakkuk is, the where is Judah, but the when is 609 BC to 598 BC. Okay, this is pre-exile. And this one is right before the exile. Okay, so this is right before Babylon comes in. All right. Um, Now, the important thing to notice here is that It is within, the 609 is within a couple of years of Nahum finishing up. So they think Nahum might have finished around 612 BC. Okay, so we're talking within three or four years. So these guys are in consecutive order. So Nahum and then the next writer would have been Habakkuk. Okay, so it's very in the realms of possible that uh, that Habakkuk would have written, or sorry, read, what Nahum would have written. And so remember with Nahum, it was, he was rejoicing over God's vengeance on Nineveh, um, basically what happens, and Habakkuk would have already seen this happen, um, is that Habakkuk saw Babylon come in and just trounce the Assyrians. Okay, and so they literally rid the land of the Assyrians, and they come in and they take over and control. But Habakkuk knows that this isn't a good thing, okay? And so he's not rejoicing over Nineveh getting their butt kicked. He is reacting to who the um, Babylonians are. And you got to remember, Babylonians were wicked. They were just as wicked, if not more wicked, than the Assyrians. Um, And so it's kind of like being rescued from one enemy by a worse enemy, essentially. And so um, Habakkuk's perspective is definitely not rejoicing in the fact that Assyria's just gotten their butt kicked. Um, Sorry, if that turn of phrase, I might need to fix that. But um, anyway, and so that's kind of your setting here um, of what's taking hold. Uh, This is right before that final invasion. So there's As Habakkuk's writing, there's a pre-invasion by Babylon that's already happened, an early invasion. And then that one, you would have had Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all taken to Babylon, okay? And they're put, you know, they took the best, the brightest, the most beautiful, the smartest. They took the who's who of Israel, Jerusalem, the entire region, okay? And they carted them all the way back to Babylon, um, and they, that was kind of a normal thing to kind of do when you conquer a territory. You basically strip it of anything that has significance or treasure uh, as far as uh, anything knowledge-wise, language, arts, um, astrology, sciences, arts. You would have taken all of that back 
to the seat of your country and you would acclimate, you, you would literally absorb any good that it had into your culture and you would take the good and pillage it basically. Um, and so that's kind of the idea. And that would have, that first wave would have already happened um, when Habakkuk is writing. And so for him, um, his land's been stripped of tons of people. Families have lost children, they've lost uncles, aunts, cousins, um, and so there's been this mass uh, reaping throughout the land. Um, and so, you know, he's reacting to some of that with his perspective on this book. Um, and so the why of this book is to affirm that the wicked will not prevail and to remind Judah that God is in control. Okay, now what you need to understand is that the, by the time we get to the end of this book, um, the governor that's been put over this kind of mounts a revolt against Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, which sets Babylon to come in and do this final destruction. And that happens in about 590. And when that when they come in the second time, when Babylon comes in that second time, they annihilate um, so they leave Jerusalem, I mean, just ravaged. There's no wall to protect them anymore. The, there's really no standing buildings, and the temple's been completely destroyed and leveled to the ground. I mean, there's just nothing left. And so you have a remnant that is scattered throughout the area, but they are vulnerable to all of these enemies surrounding, one of those enemies being Edom, which we've already covered in another book. Um, and then Edom, what they do is they swoop down in and they literally just take advantage of the situation. Um, and they exploit those that are left behind and already vulnerable um, because of how Babylon has left Jerusalem. Um, and so that begins there, the 70 years of actual exile, um, where there's no longer a temple nothing. Um, and so, I mean, you can feel that. Uh, to walk through that, you would end up with lots of tough questions. Um, and so that is literally what you're going to see in this book. Um, this is a great book for people who suffer and have suffered, and there's not this sense of justice being seen in life. Um, this is actually probably a great book for having a good biblical mindset, a, a God mindset. So um, outline on this one is chapters one and two are tough questions. Uh, and then chapter three is actually praise to the Lord. Um, and I, what I love about this is it, this is kind of in bigger form what you're going to see in a lot of the Psalms and um, the books of Psalm because they're going to start out with tough questions for God and then they're going to do this journey and then they're going to end up praising God for who he is and reminding themselves of God's character and his promises. Um, and so that right there, to go from in your suffering, asking tough questions and wrestling with God through them, God answering and interacting with you, and then and you eventually ending up in a place where you're focusing on God's promises, his character, his enduring faithfulness, his long-suffering, his kindness— and to think of those things, they don't necessarily match what you're going through, but that's the process. And that that journey from your sufferings and um, wrestling with God over those tough questions and ending up in that place of recognizing how big God is, 
and the change of perspective that happens. That's what we call theodicy. That is your journey with God from those rough places of doubt and struggle all the way through to a faith that can persist that can remain constant and solid in the face of adversity. So that on um, is one of the things I love the most about the book of Habakkuk um, because he doesn't mince words. Um, and I want to kind of, in this, in this book, I'm going to kind of go into that a little bit, but let me do our outline first. Um, the outline for the book of Habakkuk is chapters one and two are called, um, you can just say tough questions, okay? And so it is this dialogue back and forth from the prophet with God over all of these questions, good questions, like how long, how long God, and why, why are we having to walk through this, Um, and will the wicked prosper, and why are we seeing it this way, and why aren't you coming quickly, Um, questions like that, that um, I don't know about you guys, but I ask when life hurts, and when I'm in the middle of suffering or affliction or, you know, difficult things happening all around me where my world has gone cockeyed um, and flipped upside down. In those moments, to stop instead and go, God, what are you all about? What are you teaching me? Where are we going with this? Lord, how do you want to deepen my walk, my acknowledgement of you, my understanding of you. What are you doing in the midst of this affliction or suffering that I'm walking through? Um, Because that's the right way to be looking at what we're going through. Um, So tough questions are asked in chapters one and two. And then in chapter three, there is a transition that happens to praise, um, to praising of the Lord. Um, And so key verse for this is actually Habakkuk 3, 18, and it says yet, and understand that that is a transition word right there. So you almost have to circle that because something switched. Okay. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God, my savior. That's Habakkuk chapter three, verse 18. And you can see that last chapter is about praise to the Lord. And so this verse comes out of that last chapter. Um, And so themes for this, uh, like I kind of said before, is beginning, um, it begins with a discussion between God and the prophet about tough questions, about God's justice, specifically about God's justice, um, and questions of how long and why. Uh, the other thing that is in this book is that it ends with praise and a confession of faith in God in the face of coming, uh, in the face of what's happening with Babylon. Um, and so that's truly amazing to be on the edge of seeing Babylon come at you um, and to be able to sit in a posture of absolute faith where you are believing God's goodness and his promises and his mercy when your reality is not matching it and when more destruction and reality is going to get worse is imminent, it's coming. Um, And so it's a beautiful place to land that anchors your soul. Um, as you're reading Habakkuk, I'm just going to kind of run you through a couple of verses that I highlight here. Um, verse 2 of chapter 1 says, How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. 
Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. The wickedness surround the righteous. Sorry, the wicked surround the righteous. And therefore, justice comes out perverted. Um, And so he's describing the state of what is. Um, And then you're going to see in five, you're going to see God start to answer. Um, And so as you're reading this, like, look and and ask yourself, okay, where's God speaking? And where's it the prophet? That's going to be something that's very important to kind of mark out here, right? Because if I'm not looking at the context of the book and what's written, I might take a piece of this and totally misunderstand. So in other words, if I think um, uh, Habakkuk is saying verse five, it's going to sound really weird, right? How does he know? (laughs) Um, But this is God's reply. Look among the nations, observe. So watch what's going on. Be astonished and wonder. Um, And then verse 6 says, Behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, uh, fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth. Um, And so God's literally telling him what's going to happen. Um, And then look down at verse 12. Um, This is, we're back to the prophet asking questions. Are you... Uh, not from everlasting, from everlasting. O oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, you, we will not die. You, O oh Lord, have appointed them to judge. Think about the perspective shift that's already happened in that statement alone. This acknowledgement that the impending enemy coming in has been appointed to be the instrument that God uses to judge those that are, that are being attacked. Um, Anyway, so moving on, you kind of see that, and then when you get to chapter 2, there is something really cool to be seen in uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. So um, it's actually the prophet speaking. He says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself at the ramparts. I will keep watch to see what he, capital he, will speak to me and how I might reply when I'm reproved. And then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets. Uh, The one thing I love about this that I'm going to kind of highlight is that there is this expectation in the heart of the prophet to hear from God. Um, And so you have to understand that we today are after Um, Jesus coming, entering human experience, and literally walking, talking among us, okay? And so, and then after that comes the Holy Spirit to indwell us that literally gives us a live connection to the Lord that is 24-7 constant, that gives us the most powerful way to understand and hear and see God move in our lives, okay? So what we see the prophet doing here is honestly a posture we should be taking in our personal time with the Lord. Um, Look at him here. He is intently standing guard. He has stationed himself at a watch post, um, and he is watching to see what God will speak to him. Um, And the thing that strikes me so much of that is how much do we show up at church, sit and listen, and probably struggle with our attitude, you know, if a pastor feels boring or blah, 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 or this isn't a passage that we're particularly interested in. And then we walk out the doors and go back to life. What would it look like if we woke up in the morning expecting to hear from God? What would it feel like if... If our days are constant check-ins with the Lord going, God, is there anything you want to say? Is there anything you want me to do right now to be, to be about? 
what would it look like if that was what we were trying to make our reality? Being so in tune with the Holy Spirit, you know, we have the fullness of God dwelling in us. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He literally is the entity inside of us that helps us discern spiritual things. And he speaks nothing that the Father does not speak to him. So he literally is a part of communicating um, what God wants us to know and hear. So string all that together, what would it look like if we are copying what we see Habakkuk do here, where we are being watchful, where we are purposeful, where we're creating moments when we are watching and expecting God to be speaking for us. I I just think our walk with God would totally change, wouldn't it? I mean, think about if we were actively trying to tune into the Lord consistently like we see Habakkuk do. Um, Okay, so reading on through, that was just kind of a a little devotional moment, right? Um, When we get down to verse 20, we see him saying, um, but the Lord is in his holy temple and let all of the earth be silent before him. Okay, and the thing that I kind of ended with that one is that, you know, he's wrestled back and forth and we're at the end of chapter two, which has been all of these hard questions in this dialogue with um, wrestling with, you know, his hope in God, but yet the reality of what he's walking through and, and how they don't feel like they fit and they, they're not meshing together real well. Um, and he ends on this note. He ends talking about God in his holy temple. Let all of the earth be silent before him. There comes a moment in our walks with God when we are in suffering, when we need to sit silent and just All of those doubts and questions need to just fall silent, and we need to try to see and stay connected with the reality of who God is. Because I think when we see, you know, things like how he fills the temple, you know, if we think about how just his voice alone created something out of nothing, everything out of nothing, um, to sit and think of how big our God is, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, Um, To sit in the bigness of that makes whatever affliction we have feel momentary, um, like it's a vapor that'll pass away. Um, It makes it seem so small. And it is that perspective right there that stills the heart and quiets the soul in the face of our affliction, which that should sound familiar because that comes out of New Testament James, um, where James talks about our affliction as momentary um, and light by comparison because we have eternity that finishes the rest of the story. Um, And so the bigness of God is kind of where Habakkuk ends up at the end of chapter two. And so the interesting thing is throughout this conversation, he ends up in chapter three in worship. And I want to just focus in on the last two verses um, of chapter three. And the Verse 18 was our key verse for the book of Habakkuk. And it says, Yet will I will exalt the Lord, and I will rejoice in God my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet. He makes me walk on my high places. Uh, The thing I want to just kind of say is that this is where our hearts should end up in our theodicy journey. 
that we end up in a place of rejoicing. And you got to understand, they are facing the imminent march of Babylon into Jerusalem. It's happening within, I, you know, maybe nine years at most, but within 10-year time, probably less than that, literally everything they know and can see around them, the temple in front of them, will literally be leveled. Um, and it'll be leveled to the extent that one stone won't even be standing on another. It's kind of the imagery. Um, and so they would be left without boundary walls, without anything. So that is eminent. Um, and God has affirmed in this that he is raising the, the nation of Babylon up to do this. Um, and so keep that in mind with all of this, that Habakkuk can end the book in praise to God uh, for his character and for who he is. Um, And I hope that's an encouragement to you guys. Um, uh, We are next podcast. We'll be focusing on Zephaniah and I will see you then. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from modern farmhouse to transitional design. Then, meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed.